Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigations, murder investigations, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women who call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Episode 79 of Warden's Watch. Chad Eller, Pennsylvania Game Commission, Command Staff. And this is Warden's Watch, and we're going to start right off with a game warden, whether it's a story, whether it's a case, with this uh, this game warden that I'm interviewing, and then we'll go to an introduction. And I will say your first name, because it'll be easier for me to talk. So, sure. Chad, yeah, tell us, tell us a good game warden story to start this podcast off. Good game warden story. Probably about 2008, 2009, when I was still in the field, um, we got information that a large rack buck was killed. Evidently, it was killed at night. Not atypical, but, um, you know, something that we started to investigate. Uh, So we actually got information from a cousin of the individual that, that shot this deer at night. And they shot it on property on which I had just moved out of. This is a 500 acre farm. We you live there? Farmhouse. We did. Um, wow. That's rude. It was, what's that? That's rude. It was. Um, nonetheless, we kind of knew about this deer, kind of heard that, that indeed it was, it was poached by somebody that we had an idea who it was. 
nonetheless, um, we go, we interview the individual and we wound up getting the rack of the deer. It was a 16 point, um, deer at that point, um, when it was killed. And we were approached by a police officer in that township that had been hunting that deer for years, told us that he had the sheds of that deer from the year before. He turned them over to us and we had one of our scores for the game commission actually look at the rack from the year before, look at the rack you know, when it died and kind of determined that that's more than likely the exact same deer. So we took that to East Stroudsburg to the DNA lab and we successfully extracted DNA from a shed. And the interesting part of that is it came back that it was the exact same deer. The individual that shot that deer had claimed that they had killed it in Lycoming County, which would, the deer was actually poached was York County. That's about 350, 360 miles away. And, um, basically what the person did was they shot that deer at night. They drove it to Lycoming County, shoved an arrow in it, and then drove it the whole way back for some reason. We're not quite sure why. And then uh, claimed that they had killed it as an archery kill um, when it was actually shot with a rifle at night right in York County. So we successfully extracted DNA from a shed, which was the first time that I know of that that had occurred really within the United States. Still have both racks. Um, the police officer who is now a judge uh, decided they were going to donate that that those sheds to us, you know, when we were done with them with evidence. Makes a nice mountain our Operation Game Thief trailer now. So good story. Yeah, it's a great story and a DNA story too, which I don't think we've had a lot of. And it, it's pretty interesting that game wardens can be forensics, uh, extracting technicians, basically. And that's one thing. And I'll, I'll make the introduction now before I get into that, because I certainly uh, want to get into the specialization, because Pennsylvania has been epic, I think, in, I've been using that word a lot too, epic, but in forensics, uh, wildlife. As a matter of fact, a lot of other states come down to train with you because you guys are very good at it. We are. I'll brag a little bit, bit on that. That is that. That's well, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure, sure, sure. My name is Chad Eiler. I'm currently a, a state game warden for the Pennsylvania Game Commission. I'm chief of the Special Permits Enforcement Division, which is located within our Bureau of Wildlife Protection, which is law enforcement um, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And yes, I will brag a little bit about our forensics. We've been doing it for years. Mm. Um, we've conducted a lot of our own studies. A lot of game wardens out there know about the field manual with uh, you know how to come up with times of death in different species. And we've done a lot of those studies here in Pennsylvania. When our cadets come through our academy, they're spending at least a week or two on different times of death on all different types of species. And um, we supply them very well that they can conduct that work in the field. And again, I mean, you and I were discussing earlier when I started in 97, I think you're 96. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't even have dreamt of the, these things that right. they're doing today. And then we're lucky enough to, we have our own wildlife DNA lab in Pennsylvania. It's out of East Stroudsburg University. Dr. Jane Huffman, who founded that lab, she has since passed, was an absolutely outstanding person and really, you know, was kind of the backbone of doing all of these DNA studies for us and a lot of the forensic teachings that we, you know, give our cadets as well as our in-service officers. She was instrumental on in that as well. So we were lucky to, 
to have her and her legacy really continues up there. So we utilize that lab quite a bit, but we're cutting edge in Pennsylvania in that regards. We, we train our officers well in that. Yeah, I know you give them the skill sets and you train other officers because we've sent people down from New Hampshire to take sure. your course and train, you know, train the trainer type thing. Sure. So sure. they brought uh, a lot of those uh, skill sets back yep. to the point where, you know, hunters were understanding we could do times of kill based on eyes and they were taking yeah. and stabbing out their eyes. Yeah, was so, that so? You got yeah. it. So, well, there's other ways to determine that. Uh, eyes are just one. Uh, eyes are just one. Yeah. But it, it and then it kind of gives you a hint that there might be something wrong. Yeah, sure. So why doesn't the deer have any eyes? Yeah, it's true. I don't know. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And and that that pupil diameter issue that, that you're discussing, mm. we've done our own forensic tests down here. Morrow and Glover did a bunch of studies in the 60s with time of death on waterfowl. Yeah. And we reenacted all of those and found out that, that a lot of the time of death studies that were done in the 60s, I mean, still hold true today. Yeah. Um, and with waterfowl, you have all different types of temperatures going on there. You have ambient temperature and water temperature, and then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the body temperature of whatever's being killed. And that certainly depends upon the species of duck. So Jason Dukoski, who's chief of our law enforcement uh, here, who uh, is, is my supervisor, um, and I did a lot of those that kind of reenactments of those right. studies and boy, they're accurate. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're outstanding. And so we've been lucky enough that we've gone out to Ohio and teach, albeit several years ago, cause mm-hmm. kind of being in Harrisburg kind of takes you out of the teaching business a little bit, right. but um, nonetheless, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's pretty interesting. The, the amount that you can learn just from a carcass, you know? Yeah. So, and the many different ways that you can look and see, you know, when this, particular animal died they can't talk they can't talk when they're alive either so you know those tools kind of give us the information we need to fill in pieces of a puzzle if we need to yeah you treat it just like a homicide don't you sure yeah Yeah. absolutely and and again we train our officers to go into those situations kind of looking at it like that Mm -hmm. we had a unfortunately you know we've all dealt with with fatalities um in this business but several years ago uh, we we had a bad one um, when I was still in the field and it was a, it was a father son, you know, fatality. And when we took all of that information to the district attorney, normally anybody that gets killed with a firearm is prosecuted, not only, you know, through our statute, but also through title 18, which is our crimes code statute in Pennsylvania. And when the district attorney looked at us, cause it was kind of our, one of our first meetings with the district mm-hmm. attorney, they said, how did you guys know how to do all of this? Like with brain splatter and blood splatter and the, the, the 47 pieces of evidence that you, that you found just from this scene that happened during a, a, uh, a waterfowl hunting incident. And he said, it's just almost like a deer case. You know, you're looking at the exact same things. Mm-hmm. And of course you go into those situations, you've done them as well. You know, looking at it as, you know, this is a premeditated murder and you start your investigation with that and then you work your way down to, okay, this is a hunting related shooting incident. There may be an unfortunate accident at that point. So it's good to have that knowledge and skill base with wildlife. But as you well know, you're using that in all aspects of your job, um, yeah. which is kind of important. Yeah, no, I, I learned, actually, I went to homicide school when when I was shot in the line of duty. I was out for a while, so right. they offered all the academy classes to me. Yeah. So I went to a two-week homicide school with all the detectives in New Hampshire and wow. Chuck Hemp out of Florida. He was a Florida detective investigator for Day County yeah. and had all kinds of information. That man 
just had, had investigated so many things. Yeah. And I, I learned so much that could be applied. But I remember day one, I always, I said to the class, you know, every time a deer is poached or an animal is poached, it's a homicide. Sure. Well, those, those detectives to this day still bust my chops about that. You know, <laughs> gotcha. yeah, yeah, it must have been another homicide win, huh? <laughs> gotcha, you know, but, gotcha. but, but, you, but you treat it, you treat it like that. You do. And, yeah. You do. And I, I really enjoyed the investigation part as part of the job too. And those are just the tools. When, when you put a, a, a puzzle together. Sure. And it comes out. I mean, it's just, it's the coolest thing when what you did. And through that homicide school, he set up scenarios linked to each other. Yeah. So, and then he told you what really happened at the end. Uh, and it was so close. I mean, we almost got it like 95% correct. Yeah, that's great. Just based on the evidence, based sure. on the blood splatter, the direction of the shot, shell casings. Sure. It, it was, and just all the things you guys teach with wildlife, basically, yeah. in, in live people, well, not live dead people. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure. No. <laughs> And what's interesting about that is, you know, when we train our cadets um, or we're training our in-service officers mm-hmm. in this, we have a deputy program in Pennsylvania. We're, we're fortunate. We have about 250 deputies. That has gone down over the years for a variety of reasons. But, you know, they get a stipend for every eight hours they work. But for the most part, I wouldn't call it a volunteer position, you know, but they, 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 you're not making money off of that position. It's kind of a way to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. But our full-time officers are training our deputy officers on that and as well as, you know, they're getting the training here in Harrisburg. And when I went into my district, very busy district, uh, when I graduated from our school in 2002, a lot of people, a lot of wildlife mm-hmm. and very, very busy information education district, but also very busy law enforcement district just because you have that mix of people and wildlife. Right. And we had a rifle range down there and it was a couple miles out of a pretty major city in Pennsylvania. We had to babysit that range. We just did. There were so many violations on that range. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. We closed that range about three or four years after I got into my district and then we could become game wardens. And so that's when wow. we could, you know, we had the time then instead of dealing with the range violations, two to 300 violations a year citation wise and another two, 300 warning wise um, in that area, it just took all of your time. Mm-hmm. And so we got to become great game wardens, which I considered all my guys great game wardens after that range closed because we had the time then to, to, to focus in on investigations, conduct the work that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And ranges are a good thing in Pennsylvania. I think we still have about 45 of them, but sometimes they get abused. Yeah. And, uh, can, can you talk about that? Because I some agencies have ranges, some don't. New Hampshire doesn't have ranges. Okay. I think nationwide, when I went out west, we used a range. I, yes. I think it was a fish and wildlife range out there just yeah. to make sure our guns were on after the trip. Sure. Well, Pennsylvania, we've, in Pennsylvania, we're an independent agency. So we were established in 1895 by petition of what was then called the Pennsylvania Sportsmen's um, Association, which now is the Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs. And you know this, I'm sure many of the listeners do as well, all up and down the East Coast, West Coast, the entirety of the United States back then. At the turn of the 20th century, you you have mass deforestation, you have mass loss of habitat, you have really no laws. Our first law in Pennsylvania was in 1721. It protected white-tailed deer six months out of the year, but there was nobody there to enforce it because we weren't established until 1895. Really just mass destruction of wildlife just because 
there was no laws. Mm -hmm. And that whole era of exploitation from, you know, really the 1700s till the early 1900s really took a toll here in PA. So the sportsmen and sportswomen of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania went to the General Assembly and said, hey, we want some sort of agency to protect wildlife. And the General Assembly said, okay, we'll give you that but we're not going to fund it. We literally, for the first few years of our existence, got about three to $500 for postage because all the new laws that were coming out, we could only spend that money on sending to like the county treasurers and things like that and to individuals that were interested what these new game laws were. Our first game wardens were appointed in 1897, which was you know, two years after our existence. But by 1898, we had nine game wardens for the entire state of Pennsylvania. Wow. And so being that independent agency, we, through a variety of different means and methods, had established a refuge system, which a lot of states did. Teddy Roosevelt famously, you know, establishes the first national wildlife refuge down in Pelican Island in 1903. Ours followed suit with that. We kind of followed what Teddy Roosevelt did. So we established our first refuge in Pennsylvania in 1905. And we piggybacked on our state forest system and established refuges in those forested areas. And basically it was an area that you couldn't hunt. There was a refuge keeper that lived on the premises. We basically were trying to bring game species back. So that mm -hmm. refuge keeper had to kill all the predator species, bring back game species. And then we made hunting unlawful in those areas. Weren't very popular, obviously, in the beginning because people that had hunted there for generations now couldn't. But either way, that established in 1919, that, that refuge system established us actually purchasing our own land. Mm -hmm. So 1901, we have a hunting license bill that passes, basically makes a non-resident hunting license $10. And then in 1913, we pass a resident hunting license bill for a dollar and we take that money because again, we weren't getting any from the General Assembly, we start buying Pennsylvania state game lands. Mm. So they are areas that are specifically set aside for hunting, fishing, trapping, wildlife management purposes. That's, that's all they can be used for. And when we started purchasing those lands, really 1919, 1920, we then, of course, want to make it beneficial to the people that are paying for those lands mm -hmm. um, because we're not getting general taxpayer funds. We established rifle ranges really through – and handgun ranges throughout really the entire state. We have about 1.5, a little bit over that, million acres of state game lands now. Wow. That's larger than the whole state you know, size of the state of Delaware. And they're in 65 out of our 67 counties. So we try to maintain rifle ranges as best as we can. We, like I said, I think we have 40 or 50 at this mm -hmm. point. They ran there through our habitat management bureau. They have their own unique set of problems kind of set aside for the people that are paying for them um, to sight in hunting rifles or what have you. Um, sometimes they get abused like my range we would watch people. We had a barricade set up behind uh, the parking lot. So we were actually looking at the range because mm -hmm. obviously we want to be on that side. You know, we'd have people actually practice drive-by shootings, come into the parking lot, shoot, and then just drive back out as you know they're driving. I had a pretty urban district. Not to say that's the only place that happens, but you know, we just we dealt with that frequently. You know, for the 
the father or mother teaching their son or daughter how to shoot, that kind of, you know, the, the people that abuse those ranges, um, that kind of gets in the way of the legitimate user. But they're high cost as well. We have pretty stringent range regulations because they do cost a lot of money to maintain with backers and everything else. So, mm-hmm. but yep, we maintain them here. Pretty proud of the program as well. It's ironic because I keep hearing game lands, game lands at the great American outdoor show for the questions for the wardens, game lands, game lands, game lands. So your, your public is very aware of the game lands and their use. And it sounds like they use them well. And it's kind of cool. It's very unique that, you know, they have some place to go and there's numbers and yep. there they, they talk about this spot. And, and when I'm listening, I'm thinking, when I'm thinking game lands, uh, I'm thinking, you know, we have a, a wildlife management unit area right beside me. It's 100 acres. Uh, you're talking thousands of acres. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think our first game lands purchase was over 7,000 acres, yeah. our first one. And so we have the board of game commissioners which basically are our overseeing board. They're appointed by the governor, confirmed by the Senate. Mm-hmm. But I don't know of a board um, that has never stopped buying game lands. Um, you know, it's where our hunters and trappers want to see their dollars go. Yeah. They want that access. Mm-hmm. And with private property, you know, you know, people buying property all the time, people lose hunting areas frequently. Mm-hmm. And quickly. And so we take a lot of pride in the agency to keep that access open for, for folks that are that are paying our bills. And then also off of that, it's a major funding source for this agency um, with timber, oil, mineral, gas rights, things like mm. that. If we actually own those on those properties, you know, that helps fund this agency as well. Um, we're certainly not doing it through a $20 hunting license. We haven't had a hunting license increase since like 1997, 98, somewhere in there. Your hunting license uh, is $25? Our hunting license is $20. $20. Um, <laughs> so, And that gets you... A fall turkey tag, a spring turkey tag, all your small game privileges except pheasant. Um, there's a separate permit for that. And a antler deer tag. And so that's a resident hunting license. And a non-resident hunting license for the same thing is $101. You know, we, very reasonable. Uh, very. Um, I think maybe Hawaii is lower than ours. So for what this state offers we uh, and, and for how inexpensive our hunting licenses and, and trapping licenses are – we try to, you know, give the the sportsmen, sportswomen the biggest bang for the buck. And gas prices and everything else certainly don't go down. Right. So we have to have that income coming off of the game lands to even maintain as an agency. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of conundrum we sometimes far find ourselves in. We've had very lean times and we've had very good times where we could put some money back. We're, uh, we can't always judge that by what the market value of cherry is going to be in five years. So, you know, we have to have to constantly budget and maintain. And it's a very interesting way to run a governmental agency. We can't go back to the General Assembly and say, we need more money because we're not right. going to get it. You know, we have to we have to be smart and wise with what we're spending our money on. Yeah. Definitely very unique. The deputy program. Sure. Um, that another unique program to Pennsylvania. And the things, again, I'm listening as I'm hanging out with the wardens down here for the week. And the thing I thought was really cool was if you get so many deputy hours, you can convert into a full-time game warden. You're getting, instead of having the two years college or the four years military, you can do time as a deputy game warden and segue into a full-time game warden. You can. There's some civil service hoops you have to jump through there. You still have yeah. to take the test. It, right. it, it, it lays the prereq- prerequisite for you to, to actually take the full-time test test. 
And we we basically have three conservation agencies in Pennsylvania. There's us, the Game Commission, obviously. Mm-hmm. We have our sister agency, which is the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. They're an independent agency as well. And they have a deputy program as well, albeit never as big as ours, I, I don't. I don't think. And then we have the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, which are state forest, state park folks, mm-hmm. and a variety of other things. All great agencies. I've worked for every single one of them. I started my career as a deputy with the Fish and Boat Commission. So the, back in, again, 97, you know, that kind of laid the groundwork for me going, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. Right. I want to try my my darndest to get into this as a full-time profession. So you pay some dues as a deputies. Mm-hmm. I can speak of our program a little bit more intelligently than fish and boat commissions, but um, it is a unique program. So we supply our officers with a variety of, of equipment, but for the most part, they're spending money on their own truck. Mm-hmm. You know, they buy their own gas. You know, we give them... I don't even know what it is anymore. Maybe $75, $80 for every eight hours they work for maybe up to 50 to 60 hours. Mm-hmm. So they're basically volunteering their time to do this. They work under the provision of a, the full-time officer. Yeah, Our full-time officers basically cover about 350 to 400 square miles. And then they have a deputies that they supervise. Could be one, could be none, could be eight. So each district basically varies. Mm -hmm. And so the deputy program really, it started in 1905. So again, our first wardens were appointed in 1897 and pretty quickly we realized nine wardens can't cover the entire state. Mm -hmm. So we start the deputy program and that has transitioned through the years. used to be that sportsman's clubs actually picked who they wanted to be as deputies. And then we brought them on. And again, you're going back to the turn of the 20th century. And now it is a way more intensive procedure. Mm -hmm. Um, it's certainly not sitting at our training academy for 50 weeks like our full-time officers do. Right. It is a very intensive training program, and that's by design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to be a deputy. You know, when I came on, even in the mid-90s, it was, here's your law book. You qualified with your firearm. All right, see ya. Yeah. It is, it is not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It is a very intensive program, and we're proud of that. You yeah. Know, we're, we're, we really are, and we're lucky. I had seven deputies at one time. Wow. Worked my way back down to about five or six. Mm-hmm. And I would I would go anywhere with those people. They were better than me. Mm. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be where I'm sitting without them. And that's a fact. Mm-hmm. And I think if you asked anybody in our Bureau of Wildlife Protection, they'd say the same thing. And earlier you had met our legal counsel for law enforcement, who is a deputy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, he kind of wears two hats for us and isn't in the sterile environment of being an attorney looking at things. He's actually living it and then... You very know. very engaged yeah, and very, has knowledge there. Yeah, that's exactly right. You can't really ask for You don't so have to explain things from start no. one to two. No. Just like when you get a new judge that is doesn't isn't familiar with fish and sure. game work. It's it's absolutely true. I always say spoon feed them, get the basics like you're talking to someone that's never heard it before, so you don't miss it, anything. It, it is true. Yeah. Um, and so we're we're fortunate. Yes. Um, you are. Yeah, that's who we are. We know it. We're fortunate in a lot of different ways, but certainly that deputy program is one of them. Mm. And it's a very old program for us and yeah. and has you know, there was a time where we I'm had, assuming they don't have their own vehicles. That's what comes to my mind. I wonder if many game wardens out there are thinking the same. They don't they use their own vehicles. They use their own vehicles. They do. 
just like every you know every full time game warden at one time yeah, used their own vehicles. They did. You know, yeah, we've just never we've never gotten out of that for the deputy the deputies. program. Um, you know, that's that's you can still go on the internet, look at the main yeah. you know officers driving his station wagon and showing all the gear that he has in his in yeah. his uh, in his vehicle from what nineteen sixty two or something like that. Yes, and uh, you know we all did that at one point in time. But you know that's just part of being it. So it's, right. it's an expense. Yeah. You know, the way that I looked at being a deputy was, it was, and I'm not, I'm not trying to sound demeaning here. It's not, it's not what it is. You almost have to look at it as a hobby Mm. because you are not making money off of this. You know, I play guitar. I will never make money off playing my guitar. So everything I spend on my guitar, it's a hobby. You know, it's what, it's what you're spending your money on. And so we're fortunate that folks are really willing to, to spend their money on us. Right. And by us, I'm, I'm throwing in the sportsmen, sportswomen of the Commonwealth, the wildlife of the Commonwealth. These, these men and women are out there doing this essentially for no pay. Right. And, and it's been that way for a long time. So, and it's a way, like you said, a lot of people start their careers mm-hmm. back in the mid nineties. Again, that wasn't a prerequisite to come into our training class. Now, now you can use it for that. Mm-hmm. So we have officers that do that. That's, that's been beneficial to us as well. Nice. So. No, it's very, 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 very interesting, and certainly you get a lot more coverage out of having deputies. Oh, my, and, yeah, no doubt. Uh, support. No, doubt. no yeah. doubt. We have, you know, there was a time, it's probably still close, our first day of deer season, you'll have 800 to a million, 800,000 mm. to a million hunters in the field that first day. Yeah. I, I, I was I, thinking one hunter per acre of game land. <laughs> when we talked about the game land, it's probably a little less. Probably a than, little less than that yeah, now. But. Just like every state, you know, our hunting numbers go down every year. Not, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how dramatic that is, but I've I talked to your old colonel, and I talked to him the first day of our deer season one time back in geez, 2011, 2012, and he had asked how many hunters do you have in the field? And I said, probably a million. Mm. And he was astonished by that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, We make a lot of field contacts and certainly the, mo- the more folks that are out there, the more contacts we're making. And Does it ever seem crowded out there? I mean, are there some spaces that get crowded more than, I'm sure there are that sure. get crowded more than others. No but- doubt. Yeah. I mean, our game lands and more suburban, urban type areas mm-hmm. certainly have a fair share of, of usage. Right. Um, you know, fortunately... We have a lot of great smart hunters in Pennsylvania as well. Mm-hmm. So we're we're lucky from the standpoint of our hunting related shooting incident rate is very low. Mm-hmm. It's a very safe sport. We we have mandatory hunter education here, like most states have. Right. And uh, but we started that very early as well. And we started mandatory fluorescent orange before a lot of states as well. Smart. Too. You know, we change those regulations a little bit here and there, depending upon what the public wants. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you know, we're, we're a very safe state and that's really kind of a tip of the hat to the hunters and fur takers here because they keep it that way. People are making smart decisions. You know how it is. Uh, you live the life. So every once in a while, somebody will make a bad decision, but that's in every walk of life. Absolutely. Um, every strain. So, you know, we deal with those situations when they come up. Hopefully, they're few and far between. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Jeez, I'm going through my uh, notes here and there's not much because I got lost in the conversation too <laughs> and trying to understand, which is, is really good that we get a handle on it uh, nationwide because every, every state's just a, l- a little bit different. I think in the majority, we're on the same track. It's just a different lane. Yeah, um, you know, New Hampshire, Maine, Pennsylvania, 
you know, when it comes to the New England states, we're still game wardens. Mm. You know, a lot of our other states around us are environmental police or they're they're doing emission stuff and things like that. We're we're lucky. Yes, uh, Vermont we are. as well. We're still we're still game wardens. Yeah. And that's kind of I think why you know you guys are far north and we're kind of down in the mid-Atlantics, but a lot of our states belong to the same organizations and I think that's kind of why we've always kind of uh, migrated towards each other because we're still doing the same work. Pennsylvania, we have a separate, like I said, fish and boat commission versus game, which we're the last state in the nation to have that. But that really has to do with those funding sources, like we had discussed and some federal funding sources as well. But, you know, the system works real well for us in Pennsylvania. And so we're, that's the key, Chad, you just said it, it it works real well. So don't, don't mess with it. It Uh, does. And every once in a while, you know, that, that that, that comes out where we'll be thrown under this agency, that agency or what have you. Mm -hmm. And once the, the people that are making the decisions, whether that's coming out of our general assembly, governor, what have you look at it, they say, Holy cow. You know, Mm. you guys are still using buildings from like the CCC and we go, yeah, because we watch our money and, mm-hmm. and we're, we're doing it right. People kind of tend to back off once that, once that, you know, it's interesting because I came from the field directly into Harrisburg. Um, and I think a lot of the folks in our bureau have done that. And so we've really seen the groundwork to, mm-hmm. we're looking at it from a little bit different level. Our old supervisor always used to say, when you're in the field, you're on the football field. When you're in our regional office, which you know would have been, you weren't in a regional office, but you were a lieutenant, you're looking at it from the stands. And when mm-hmm. you're in headquarters, you're looking at it from the Goodyear blimp. Yeah. And so the decisions that we make here really are to keep the agency solvent and to keep it moving forward. Whereas, you know, our field officers are doing the great work of the local investigations. Mm-hmm. We're a little bit away from that now. We'll get involved in investigations. If there's a political avenue to it, or if it's just so substantive that we need to get involved with it. But for the most part, we, we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, we have special investigators that work out of this bureau, whether they're covert or overt. But for the most part, we're just trying to keep the law enforcement program moving forward um, within constitutional bounds, both on the state and federal level, and and then keeping the equipment coming to our guys. Right, and um, technology is changing so quick, as well absolutely. as uh, police work uh, on the horizon. No, no uh, doubt, what's coming down. So but, it's it's always adjusting. Um, it equipment, is. it's, it's, it's so much, uh, <laughs> you, you, you could have been an attorney, I think, uh, if you're a game warden because, or, or any police officer, cause the, the decisions we have to make, the knowledge we have to have sure. are, are so crazy yep. and you're expected to perform everything, you know, at a, at an A, not, not a B, not a C, an A. Yeah. And it's, like most police officers, I'd argue, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's when you're, when you're the boots on the ground, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how it was when when you came out, but I was issued a typewriter and a revolver. Yeah, like seriously, uh, we didn't we didn't even have. So seven. glad that typewriter went down the road and I got a computer. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it's it's true, but yeah. that's what we were issued. Yes. and um, now the the officers have computers in their cars, a computer aided dispatch, and we have state of the art dispatch technology. We know where our guys are. We know when they need help. We, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's a it's a totally totally different world in a way. I go, geez, I kind of liked when we weren't even issued a cell phone because mm. um, you could go out and, and be a be a game warden. Now you're tied to the computer a little bit more. Yeah. 
but you know, there's a lot of safety with that as well. Absolutely. We had an officer killed in the line of duty in 2011, excuse me, 2010. That changed a lot. Our agency mm. changed a lot out of that. That was the first time that it happened to us since 1914, where we had an officer actually killed in the line of duty. You know, that incident had happened here nationwide coverage on that incident and that that really changed the direction of of our agency not that not that not that we were not that we were behind the times we weren't it just it really kind of put our focus on i can't even say better anything because we we were we were top notch when that happened it just it just it changed refocused. things. It refocused it. It mm-hmm. changed things as um, well as my shooting did too. They refocused it. Sure. You know what can we do better? No doubt. Uh, radios came out of that. Yeah. Firearms. We were issued bolt guns, so then yeah. we went to the the Mini fourteen Ruger Ranch guns, yeah. things like that. It was it, it got refocused for the time. Yeah. Because I maybe we didn't keep up with the time. You know, as far as technology went, uh, maybe something. Could have gave that officer an edge. Thank God, you know, in my incident, I'm still alive. Yeah. We didn't have to learn that way. I didn't have a vest issued back then. Yeah. Uh, so so things like that come yeah. out of that. Refocuses things and, hey, we just had this incident. And, and I think we do. As time goes on and we have we don't have an incident, it kind of focuses to other things sure. that still need attention. Sure, sure, sure. But, and then it gets refocused again. And sometimes, you know, just legislation refocuses it for us because the, the public mandates something that we, we want to do. And, that, and that's fine. It's just uh, giving the attention where it's needed as you progress. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Well, and it, I... Again, started in ninety seven. You ninety six? Ninety five. Ninety five. Yeah. And and so, you know, you didn't know this, but there was a guy named Chad Eiler in Pennsylvania that went, Oh my God, that happened to Wayne Saunders. And we didn't know each other, obviously, and really got to know each other through the establishment of mm-hmm. our Operation Game Thief program. Yeah. Because we were trying to, you know, emulate you and Maine and and the guys that were doing it right. But you had people praying for you down here that mm. you Never even know. Right. And, you know, to sit across the table from you now and then to get to know you through Operation Game Thief has been a been a pleasure. Certainly getting to know all the you know, the folks in at least the command staff through the Northeast Chiefs Association, stuff like that has just been great as well. But it's kind of strange to 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 talk to you mm. now just because I knew you back then, but we didn't know each other, you know, because it just, it rippled through because I just started and I said, holy cow, that happened. Not that you don't think things like that are going to happen, but it happened. Right. And so it's kind of, it's, it's, I'm glad you're sitting across the table from me Uh, as well. I appreciate you saying that, Chad, Um, for sure. Well, I've, you and I have never really discussed the incident, but you did discuss the incident when you hosted the International Wildlife Crime Stoppers event. And that's. That was that was that was wild to watch you explain that because mm. you you talked to talked and you walk and you walked to walk you know you've been there when when Dave was killed who was our officer in 2010 he was my neighboring officer mm. um, I had him as a cadet you know when I was res- the resident instructor in our school and we've all kind of dealt with that but you're here to tell the story and what a story I yeah. mean because that's you're right. We didn't have vests back then. Mm. Nobody did. You know, it was an oddity. And if you had them, there was a big steel plate in the mm. front because that was the technology back then. Right. And now things are just different. You yeah. know, they, they just are. I was lucky to walk through your state in 92. I hiked from Georgia to Maine through hiked the Appalachian Trail. And, and my pack 
was 50 pounds and that was light back then. And now mm-hmm. I see people walking it in sneakers with, you know, backpacks the size of my day pack. And I'm going, how are they doing this? And it's just it's the, the, the technology right. has just changed so much. I'm, I'm so lucky. Can, I can walk out of the door today um, if I want to. And I don't want to yet. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm lucky in both those regards, but I got to see that, you know, I got to see the revolvers being issued. Yeah. I got to see the typewriter. I got to see all of that. And we just had a cadet class graduate. I think you interviewed one of, one yes. of our new officers and they'll have their own story. They'll say, geez, you know, our computers back then were 12 by 12. You know, they're going to be saying that in 20 years. So they'll have their own story, but there is something to be said yeah. for... Remember when we had guns, we got lasers now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you read like Willie Parker's book, you know, Game Warden, um, you know, when he gets sent there as a federal agent for the Chesapeake Bay, and, you know, they're, the, the cutting edge technology there for waterfowl hunters was to come down on the people that are baiting whole inlets of the bay with a helicopter, you know, yeah. it's just... Now we're using that technology with drones. You know, yes. it's just it's a totally different world, and uh, for good and ill. You know, yeah. So no, absolutely has it's a double edged sword. No matter which way yeah, you look it's at true. it, and it's true. It, it's neat to see, neat, neat to reflect, and like you said, what, what's the next twenty five years going to yeah. bring to the these guys, and what are they going to be telling stories yeah. about? So. Well, they're the leaders. You know, yes. you trained them, and I trained them, and mm-hmm. and they're coming up through, and they're they're going to lead our agencies, yeah. and, and, and that's uh, why you can tell us. This successful story of your agency is what what was done before you sure. know the foundation yeah and what is continuing and what will continue sure so no doubt about it that's yep. great no doubt so. about it hey thanks so much uh thank you do you have one more story to end with because i people oh. love game warden stories it's just I, I you know what you told me to prep for one i tried to you prep for one <laughs> but everybody tells me Chad Idler has all, all kinds of story. The Academy oh. people loved you. Well, Every time that there was an incident that you had a story for it and you brought the real world to those cadets. Oh. That's what I want you to know. Oh. Every time that you engaged them. Well, that's good. I try to do that. I, I, I'm a firm believer in not standing up there and reading statute. Mm. You know, and I and I, I I was, you know, Wayne, I was just, I was so lucky. Mm. And... I, I, I guess the story I'm, I'm going to tell is, and every game warden can tell this story. I was just very lucky. I can't even believe that I got to work here. Yeah. Like I can't. I, I got to. I got to do things, go places, be with men and women that I I can't even believe I got to stand with. Mm-hmm. And they they may have been my deputies or they may have been my superiors, but I got to, I got to do it. Yeah. You know, Jason Nikoski, I've mentioned him before. He's, he's our chief in, in law enforcement. Him and I took our test together, jab him a little bit here and there, just going, man, I never thought you even passed a test, you know, mm. and, and, but we got to go into our class to, you know, we, we graduated together and, you know, I'd lay in the road for that man. I guess the story to tell is again, just like I told the cadets when we had them the last day was you're part of something now that, is so special and so specialized. You know, I don't know of many, and again, not disparaging anybody here. I don't know of any municipal police officers or state troopers that go, you know what? We're going to vacation in Maine this year. I'm going to call the state troopers up in Maine and, and <laughs> see if they can like point me to a good place. I, 
Everybody does that. Now, you know, yeah. I can go into any state and go, oh, my God, yeah, I know somebody here, and, mm-hmm. and call them and go, hey, we're going to be in the Adirondacks this, this summer. Where's, where should we go? It is a brotherhood and sisterhood that I can't even believe that I got to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And I'm so far from it now because I, you know, I sit or stand behind a desk in Harrisburg. You get the... F- once you start moving away from the field, you, you, you get away from things. And that's the unfortunate part about it. Just to be associated with even the cadets and now state game wardens that, that uh, graduated on Saturday, I, I can't believe I get to be part of that story. And so when I'm throwing in those teaching techniques of going, how would you handle that? Or I'm a defense attorney, and so I'm hammering you on this. Or let me tell you about this. That's just something that comes out automatically because – you know, it's like you're talking to your brother. It's just like you and I are talking. Mm. You know, um, I don't think I've shut up this whole time, so my apologies. That's exactly but, what a guest should do. <laughs> yeah, God, <laughs> and uh, but I, honestly, but you're going to get that from any game warden that you interview. Mm. Just how lucky we are. Just how fortunate we are to to work with those men and women. But how fortunate we are to be part of that whole community of sportsmen, sportswomen, like the people who are, you know, talking to talk and walk in the walk as well. You know, these are the folks that are putting on the youth field days, the information education programs and the sportsmen's clubs that support you. Mm. And, you know, whether that's on a national scale, if you're dealing with like hunt of a lifetime or Rocky mountain elk, or you're dealing with Jefferson sportsman's club in York County to be part of those organizations it literally takes my breath away that I got to live this life. Yeah. Like seriously, you know, it'll come to an end someday and then it's somebody else's turn. But right now I'm kind of enjoying that ride. So that's a story I got for you, brother. That, that's, a, that's a great story and it's very inspiring for our next future generation. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, you tell the same one. So thank you. <laughs> Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigations, murder investigations, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, commitment, and the stories of those men and women who call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.